Welcome to the SBCA Podcast Component Connection. Looking at how businesses around the country are innovating to take advantage of opportunities in the construction supply chain. Now, here's your host, Sean Shields. Welcome, everyone. On today's podcast brought to you by the Structural Building Components Association, which is celebrating its 40th anniversary this year, we're going to talk about negotiation. Finding the win-win in a scenario can be difficult, but with the right skills, you can find it more often than not. Joining us today to talk about those skills is John Burroughs, a senior lecturer in leadership at the University of Chicago's Harris School of Public Policy. John, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Sean. Really excited for this. John, I'm excited to have you on because you're going to be hosting a negotiation workshop at BCMC FS in Indianapolis on Thursday, September 21st. Be- before we get into talking about that, I'm curious, how did you become an expert on negotiation skills? I mean, did you always want to grow up to be a professional negotiator or did you have something else in mind? <laughs> this is a great question, Sean. No, I, I don't think from a young age, I thought I, I, will, be a, I will be a professional negotiator. I think like many teenage boys, I I kind of imagined I might join the military. I might be a fighter pilot, something like that. Mm. Of course, the asthma precluded that option and life happened. But I will say this, from a young age, I think I had a natural inclination towards being persuasive and intellectual curiosity, curiosity about human interaction. I certainly at many times was told by teachers at various points that I had the gift of the gab, so to speak. So I think I, I had a natural inclination towards this and ultimately ended up in sales professionally. I worked in enterprise sales in the software industry. I sold professional services at, at Arthur Anderson and, and Accenture and, and then realized that, that, that you know I was practicing negotiations and became mindful of what I was doing and mindful that part of what I was trying to accomplish was upskill others who worked for me and around me. And then coming sort of you know, later on, as you know, I ended up getting a PhD in behavioral science and kind of connecting the world of theory back to practice. That's an excellent sort of progression there. I wonder at some point where people are like, you're really good at persuading people to do things you want. <laughs> I think I may have been accused of that, but I don't know that. I can make some money doing that. <laughs> no, I, I, again, but I think it's important to note that, you know, Yes, there are certain skills you can have that will make you make it naturally easier to be a good negotiator, but that's very much so you can be trained, right? So yeah. this is not a skill that is you either you got it or you haven't got it, right? The reality is if you have some of the natural skills in place, those can be improved. But I would say I, I every time I'm teaching, there's people in the room who would consider themselves terrible negotiators or, or would claim they haven't negotiated or... And I can take them, whether it's I've got a couple of hours with them or whether I've got 10 weeks with them in, a, in an MBA classroom, for instance, I can, you know, I confidently say I can move someone who would say they're a terrible negotiator to a very good negotiator, given, given the right amount of time. Well, John, I mean, what we're talking about here is not negotiation that's just for the boardroom or a car dealership. I mean, where else do you see these negotiation skills that you're talking about being important? I mean, what are the basic skills you think people need to have in order to be successful at negotiation, even if they think they, they aren't? 
or the great questions. Let me tackle the first one first, you know, in okay. terms of, of, you know, you know, who, when are we negotiating? What is a negotiation? I, I think that's a really good question. One I'm always at pains to sort of speak to very early when I present to a new audience. I'm often teaching, you know, senior executives, but I'm also teaching graduate students and, and, and actually next year undergraduate students as well. Some of the younger grad students, you know, maybe early 20s, and will come to the classroom and say, I've never negotiated. And my pushback on them is, you absolutely have negotiated. You just don't realize it. In fact, you're doing it every day, multiple times a day. And that what's true for a 22-year-old grad student is true for any of your listeners or really any of us in, in a broader sense. The reality is those of us with kids are trying to nudge and cajole our younger kids to eat their green beans, right? Those of us with teenagers might be trying to convince our kids they will come back at a reasonable hour after going out with their friends. With significant others, we're debating what are we going to watch on TV tonight or are we going to order sushi or pizza on Grubhub? These are all negotiations. In fact, one of my frustrations is we sort of call these negotiations but really what we should be calling these interactions is sort of group decision-making exercises, right? These mm -hmm. are opportunities to collaborate with others to create a win for both parties. So that's the answer to question one. The other one was obviously related, which is what are the underlying skills that are, are important for a negotiator? And I would say active listening is a big one. I mean, there are a lot of studies that will suggest the one who wins a negotiation is the one who does a better job listening and says, you know, opens their mouth less. I say you, you don't have to open your mouth and say some strategic things at the right time, but this mm -hmm. idea that negotiators dominate the conversation is actually entirely wrong. Preparation and planning. Quick, you know, a lot of us too readily dive into a negotiation without thinking more about what's going on. Now, I, uh, the longer answer to this is in the real world, we don't really have good data to know whether we did well or badly in a negotiation, right? You walk out a job negotiation, they don't pat you on the back and say, oh, by the way, if you pushed a little bit harder, we would have paid you 20% more, right? So we don't have hard data in our negotiations today to tell us how we did. Our brains are wired up to pat us on the back and make ourselves feel good about ourselves, right? You, you're probably familiar with the studies that suggest people who are depressed have actually a much more accurate view of the world than those of us who are not. And this plays now in negotiations, right? In the sense that I walk out of a negotiation kind of oblivious to the fact that I didn't do very well, but my brain kind of nudges me to think I did. And I go, well, I didn't prepare. Guess I don't need to prepare. I guess I'm just naturally charming, charismatic and such. I'll just do that again. I think one of the things that a structured approach to teaching negotiations does is allow you to see how you did vis-a-vis -vis others and learn that maybe you're not as good as you thought you were and you can learn how to improve. And a big part of that improvement is spending more time preparing and planning and thinking about the negotiation rather than wading into the dialogue. Rapport and trust are important, right? We negotiate with people or rather we come to good outcomes with people that we like, that we trust. It's not to say we don't have to sometimes negotiate with difficult people, but fortunately, most of us, most of the time are negotiating with other rational actors or people who can be persuaded to be such. And having a rapport and being seen as someone who's trustworthy is a huge step in the right direction.
and then effective questioning and a willingness to be flexible, right? Is often we approach negotiation with a very rigid sense of the right outcome or the, the right path to that outcome. And we need to think about, you know, maybe there are other more creative solutions that are not obvious at the start of the negotiation, that as they materialize, maybe they're the right thing to, to pivot towards achieving. You know, John, as you're walking through that list, that last one really strikes me because a lot of times when we talk about really successful negotiations, it's that the outcome was not expected on the front end, right? The two parties wanted, were pretty clear on what they wanted going into it. But when they found something that they didn't even know was there, there was a win, that discovery is really one of the things that makes a negotiation shine, right? Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So I, I'm curious, as you, you give that list, I mean, all of those things sound doable, plausible, even for a person who is not a professional negotiator like you. But like, what have you found has been maybe the most difficult skill to to get to people to understand about negotiations yeah well i there the the the, the simple one would answer is managing emotions but uh but i think this that really there are there are two or three interrelated things going on here in, in some sense we're very poor at separating what i call the people from the problem put differently you know, I'm negotiating with someone I find objectionable. I struggle to overlook the possibility that that objectionable person, right, is actually offering me very attractive terms. Similarly, someone I find charismatic, charming, I'd love to be their friend. I let that, you know, intermingle and cloud my judgment about the generosity of an offer they might be making. I like them. So I see their middling offer as much more appealing than it is. So this ability to kind of disentangle sort of our emotional judgments from more objective things is something we could all benefit from getting better at. And I think more broadly, I think there's a sense, and this kind of goes back to the flexibility question from earlier, but approach from a slightly different angle, is, is we all have a natural inclination towards how we approach high conflict situation and uh, even the most adept negotiators perceive most negotiations as having an aspect of conflict right and we we should kind of embrace that in some respects but what what that means is we're naturally wired up to approach conflict in sort of one of five different ways so in, in my class i'll talk more about this but we each have like a natural negotiation style and we are much too rigid in using this style, the one we're most comfortable with. And what we should do is recognize that there are five styles and different styles ought to be thought of as sort of different tools in your toolbox. And just the same as every problem isn't solved with a saw, sometimes a hammer is useful or other times a screwdriver is useful. We want to kind of take that approach to negotiations. John, as you say that, it's like your earlier answers, I'm like, oh, this is simpler than we think it is. And now you say that, I'm like, this is more more difficult than it is. But it, you know, at the end of the day, I think what I hear you saying with all of these skills that you need to have in order to be a successful negotiator, one of the core pieces of that is this assumption that at the end of the day, this isn't about a zero-sum game. It isn't if the more I get, the less they're going to get kind of thing, or the more I give them, the less I'm going to end up with is really thinking about negotiation, as you said originally, as problems, group problem solving and trying to find how do we increase the size of the pie, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I think one of the things I say often in the first couple of slides when I give a presentation is don't compromise. And I, and I, I, and I initially throw that out there early on and get a few sort of weird looks from, from students or folks in the audience. And, and later I develop and explain why I say that. The reality is we're all wired up to naturally want to compromise, right? Society kind of teaches that compromise is reasonable, is the kind, generous thing to do. The problem with compromise is we often leave value on the table. There's a cute example called the, the orange negotiation. I mean, you may be familiar with it, um, but all of us who teach negotiations talk about this orange example, and none of us are quite sure where the example came from, but it's a lovely example. Here's the simple setup. Two sisters come home and walk into the kitchen. Uh, they walk into the kitchen and there's, a, and there's an orange on, on, on the kitchen table. They both go to grab that orange, indicating they both want the orange, right? And one sister pulls out a knife from a, from a chopping block, cuts the orange in half, gives her sister half the orange, takes the other half herself. They go their own separate ways. They come down the next morning and one sister says to the other, just out of curiosity, what did you want the orange for? And one sister says, ah, I was baking a cake. I wanted the zest for, for the frosting, for the icing on the cake. What, what did you want the orange for? And, and the other sister says, oh, I was getting a cold. I wanted the pulp, the juice for the vitamin C to hopefully stave off the cold. Obviously, what is the punchline here? Well, the punchline is they didn't hold out for what they were really interested in, right? Instead, they did what seemed the right thing to do. They compromised. They cut the orange in half and walked away each with half an orange half of what they really wanted. What they should have done is embrace their differences, have made clear what they each want. I would love all the juice. I would love all the, the, the skin for the zest. And then could have actually walked out with 100% of what they want. And this story is one we'll develop you know, in, in the class I'm going to teach uh, next month. We'll talk through how to sort of do these ideas in practice how to embrace differences and create value around the fact we want different things and we value different things. Yeah, I can't help but think about that anecdotal story and think that both sisters walked away with their brains patting them on the back. They got what they wanted, right? They thought they did pretty good. Everybody walked away happy. And what you're pointing out is like your their brain was tricking them, right? Because they really didn't do very good. They only got half of what they could have gotten. But at the moment, didn't know any better, right? Again, yeah. because unless you're taking a class on negotiations where you're walking through simulated exercises, others in the room who are your peers are doing the same exercise, and then you can see how did, you know, how did this individual do versus that individual and go, oh, I left value on the table. I thought I did well, but in fact, I didn't. And maybe I can learn a thing or two along the way. You know, John, it also strikes me just thinking about the people who are listening to this podcast that probably one of the biggest lessons learned there too is know, gather as much information as you possibly can about the, the person across the table from you because you'll have a better understanding of what their needs are and where there might be opportunity. Absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't agree more, right? Uh, couldn't agree more. Background research on, on the, the participants of the table is crucial, absolutely crucial. So, John, at your negotiation workshop at BF BCMC FS, I'm curious if you can just talk a little bit about what's this going to look like, this workshop that we're going to have? What are you hoping 
uh, to do or set up that'll help the participants gain the perspectives that they need to gather some of these important negotiation skills? Yeah. So, so I'm going to take the approach that I, I prefer to always take when teaching this talk, which is you gotta do it. Right. This is this, this is a contact sport. I mean, yes, I could lecture for two, three hours, and I hopefully would be fairly engaging, and you'd learn a thing or two. But I'm confident that people who come to to to, to the session and will actually participate in a live simulated negotiation with another person in that room is going to learn a lot more, getting to sort of step onto the battlefield, so to speak. So, so I think the, the way we're going to do this is there's going to be a session that's on Zoom before we gather in person, and that's going to be, you know, obviously optional. But for those folks, they'll get to do negotiation that is what we call a distributive negotiation. It is zero sum, right? So we what we want to lay the groundwork is there are always zero sum aspects of negotiations, and in actuality, you know, knowing how to how to think strategically in a distributed negotiation is an important pre-step to getting better at integrated negotiation, the more complex, non-zero-sum opportunity to create value. So actually, in a Zoom session, we'll run a, a distributed negotiation, and then when we come together in person, I'm going to debrief societies and talk about various heuristics and biases that drive more or less successful outcomes in negotiations using that exercise as sort of a drop, if you will. Heuristics and biases for the for, for your listeners who aren't familiar with that term is one um, that refers to kind of the the various things our brains are wired up to do well and badly, right? Essentially, neurologically, we're very good at doing certain things, very bad at doing other things. It's important as a negotiator to be mindful of those. On the one hand, I want to understand how these can work in my favor so I can use them against the person across the table to win. But on the other hand, I might want to be mindful of what are my own shortcomings and 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 sort of guard against having my counterparty use these to sort of exploit me, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So be very hands-on. And then as I say, the, 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 the negotiation will focus on when we're all together in Indianapolis will be one that is integrative. It's one where we're going to figure out how to bucket issues. In negotiations, there are at least three different types of issues. And one of the things we want to get adept at doing is recognizing for, in a given negotiation, which issue falls into which of these three buckets. And that's really one of the first things we want to do in in multi-issue negotiations. And we'll spend a lot of time talking about how you do that. And we'll also talk about this trading mindset that I alluded to earlier, right? This idea of we don't want to meet in the middle. We don't want to compromise. What we want to think about is what's a big win for you and give you that big win. And then find out is there something that's a big win for me and give me that big win. We're essentially trading, right? So I'll, I'll give you the things that are really valuable to me that are less valuable to me. So you really value this. And I'm like, I'd rather keep it, but I'll give it to you because it's a huge win for you and a small gift for me. But in return, let's find another issue that has sort of the, re- the, the reverse relationship, right? Something that's sort of cheap for you, right? And expensive for me, if you will, right? And often in, in the real world, these trades revolve around 
you know, time, money, and quality, right? So this idea of, you know, fast, cheap, good, right? So in, in your world, you know, you can trade on and have different points of view around which of those two are more important than the other one. I love it. John, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Great to be here, Sean. Really enjoyed it and really excited to, to see you and, and your listeners uh, in about a month's time. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please give this podcast a favorable rating and share it with others. Also, consider subscribing to SPCA's Component Connection podcast on whatever platform you use most. That way, you'll immediately know when we publish our next podcast. And if you want to participate in John's negotiation workshop at BCMCFS, make sure to register for the show and participate in his pre-con virtual workshop on Tuesday, September 5th at 2 p.m. Central. Register for that workshop at sbcacomponents.com. This has been a Component Connection podcast brought to you by SBCA. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode, send it to podcast at sbcacomponents.com.